When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kiley. This is Before the Box Score, Missouri Beat Florida. Missouri Beat Florida in overtime, 24-23. I told y'all, man, we trade off wins, twos and twos, and it was it was Missouri's time to win. There's nothing in the world that could happen yesterday that would preclude Missouri from not winning that game. So, congratulations to Drinkwitz. Congratulations to the entire Missouri team, especially the seniors. You get, went out with a win. Uh, BK, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. You also told me that Florida doesn't kick field goals, and then all they did was kick a parade of field goals yeah, all day what long. Yeah, the hell? So, <laughs> I mean, 50-50. <laughs> I don't know what that was about. I mean, we'll just dive into it. The the game yesterday was not enjoyable. Let's just get that out of the way first and foremost. I suppose if you like defensive flavored football, you might have you might have enjoyed that particular one, but it was just not a very good game to watch. It was, you know, as informed mentioned, the field goals just over and over. You get into the red zone, everybody stalls out. Uh try to run a ball, less than two yards per carry. Try to throw the ball, break it up. Like if you like defense, this is your jam. But I think, you know, even even people who like defense looked at this and went, wow, these are two teams who just can't execute, who are just trying not to lose. I'm right on that, correct? Yeah, and I think that, I mean, we're going to have the conversation in a grander scheme of things. Like, the quarterback play just was really poor on Missouri's part for, I mean, 55 minutes or so. Um, and then on Florida side of things, like that was just a team that desperately wanted to lose. And what I mean, but like offensively, defensively, they, I actually thought they had a pretty inspired effort on the defensive side of the incredible. ball, to be totally honest with you by Florida. Yeah. But offensively, they wanted no part of winning that football game. Drops, miss blocks, a quarterback who just seemed to be confused even before the ball was snapped. I mean, it was just, it was a really, really poor effort on everybody's behalf on the Florida side of things offensively. And the same was true for a large portion of the game offensively for Missouri. They just couldn't get anything going. The offensive line couldn't open up holes for the first three quarters for Tyler Beatty. Connor Basilak couldn't find open receivers. The receivers weren't creating a bunch of separation. And when they did, there were a couple of drops. It was just, it was bad. The execution was poor. 
on both sides and the last thing we needed from a game like that was overtime but guess what nate that's exactly what we got that is exactly what we got and if you watch that game for any stretch of, of time you recognize pretty early <clears throat> that this missouri team was not equipped to out duel florida in a prolonged overtime uh overtime shootout so the fact that Drinkwitz went for two on that first possession was absolutely the correct decision to make uh the play was it worked. I don't know if that's how they draw, drew it up or they just got lucky, but um, it was it was great. You know, when you even if it's a if a mediocre game between two mediocre teams, like when you uh, ratchet up the stakes like that, especially in overtime, it's it's thrilling to win. And you know, you mentioned it uh, as it was happening. Like, what a cool way for Daniel Parker Jr. to end his career at home, at home, uh, catching the the two point conversion there. Um, but really just for the seniors overall, like we mentioned on the last show, it's been a tumultuous couple of years for those guys, uh, not only going through coaching changes, but COVID and all that sort of stuff. And the guys stuck with it. And, you know, Eli Drinkwitz mentioned it in his press game, uh, post game presser as well. Like, you know, just the things that were thrown at them. And a lot of these, uh, the COVID seniors, the, the super seniors graduates, like, the ones who came back, particularly like your Kiki Chisholm's, Michael Wilson's, Mike Maietti in particular, they came back to to go to a bowl game, and you think about Mizzou. You go back to twenty seventeen. Barry Odom got into a bowl and they lost. Twenty eighteen. Barry Odom got into a bowl and lost. Twenty nineteen. They won six games. They're bowl eligible, but you know NCAA said no. Uh, and then last year could have gone to a bowl and it was canceled for COVID. So like, think of a Mike Maietti who transferred to Missouri because he was the best player on a terrible Rutgers team. And he he gets bowl eligible his first year and gets denied because he can't feel the team. He risks it to come back, try it again, and they get that sixth win. Like that's just that's a lot. That makes me very happy uh, for him and for any of the other guys who came back for that reason because it was not looking good halfway through the season. And credit to them, they turn it around and, and they and they got one of their goals. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Daniel Parker Jr. It's the first time he's been to a bowl game since his freshman year. That's it's pretty wild to think about, man. I mean, this team has uh, been through a lot over the last four years. You had the coaching change. You've been through uh, multiple defensive coordinators now. Uh, you've been through a few different offense coordinators. It's just been a, a weird, tumultuous four or five year stretch for a lot of these guys. Um, and so for them to be able to get back to one, it is an accomplishment. I know that the bowl games have been diminished and they are not valued the way they once were and frankly they shouldn't be valued the way they once were but given where missouri was as a program given where they're trying to go it, it is an achievement for them to be able to get back to one this year and for them to be able to do it after their terrible start to the season it's also an achievement this was a team that was two and three and had just lost at home and what was gonna go down as one of the worst home losses in program history to tennessee a lot of teams at that point, it's over. It's done. You're just you're not coming back from something like that. For this team to be able to battle back, you got the win at North Te against North Texas. Uh, it's ugly, but you get the win at Vandy, and it was a pass fail game. And then the last two weeks, really, for them to be able to win against two relative peer programs, that's what stands out to me. Those were hard fought wins. I know that South Carolina is not a great team, although. Hey, did you see what they did this week? Mm -hmm. um, I know Florida was ready to wilt, but this is a team that if they were able to get ahead of you early, 
they have enough talents to bury you afterwards. So credit where it's due. This Tigers team deserves a lot of credit for being able to get to a bowl game once again. These things aren't handed to you as much as they've been devalued. They do have, still have some meaning. Yeah. And I mean, Missouri has been bowl eligible since 2017. That's just for wonky circumstances they haven't gone. So, you know, this is for all of the, the lows, let's just call them lows, that we've experienced as fans. This Missouri has been able to do the bare minimum to get into the postseason, <laughs> like for whatever that's worth. Uh, hopefully we can actually see them, you know, partake in a bowl game and they get their trip. Um, I know, I know most people don't care about bowls. <clears throat> I certainly don't watch them to the uh, extent that I used to, but they, they matter for individual teams. They matter for individual players like a Mike Miety, like a Kiki Chisholm, uh, like a New Mexico state that goes to a bowl for the first time in like 60 years, uh, a couple of years ago. Like it, it matters to them. Uh, it might not well, matter. Was it to Eastern them. Michigan that went for the first time in a long time? Mm -hmm. yeah, Maybe oh, yeah. ever. Yeah. Like you, there are teams out there who are looking to just break that, that streak. And to them, it matters. And it doesn't matter to Ohio state or Notre Dame, but you know, that's not what the sport's about. Sport's about your little corner and, and making it count. And, and, you know, the fact that Missouri has, has been bowl eligible, but just hasn't been able to play is, you know, that sucks, but here we are, we got an opportunity and, and, and they certainly earned it and they earned it off the back of the defense, which again, in 2021 uh, just blows my freaking mind. I, I can't, I mean, you all listen to this show. You know how many times we've said that it's not getting better. It's not getting better. Like just, we, you don't see turnarounds in season like this. You just don't. And the fact that this defense has been able to do that at every level, including our much maligned linebackers, like I don't know what uh, what Kool Aid they're drinking, but it's working, and they they understand the system. They're flying to the ball. They're they're making tackles, which was a problem at the beginning of the year, and here we are in a defensive slugfest against Florida, uh, and we win the game off of our defense. It's it's incredible, and it's credit to. Blaze Aldridge, who could have, like you said, given up after Tennessee. That's a credit to Kobe Whiteside and Keel Byers, who, who stuck with it and, and have really be, turned into some disruptive pieces. And it's really to that entire defense. Uh, it's a tight unit, and a couple of new guys stepped up, but like they they have delivered. And if it wasn't for this defense last well, yesterday, uh, this game would have been over in, a, in the first 20 minutes, and, and, and it wasn't, and Missouri won, and credit to Steve Wilkes. That was great. Yeah, it's awesome. And this I, I mentioned it in my post game wrap up piece, but it's a little bit of everything. The personnel has changed. Chad Bailey deserves a ton of credit for getting in there. And he's been the player that we were hoping he would be. He was a four star player that came in with the, the pedigree that everybody believed. OK, maybe this guy can be a pretty solid impact starting linebacker. And for whatever reason, it just never really happened early on for him at Mizzou. And then he was inserted into the lineup and it was like, oh, this, this guy's kind of good. <laughs> like he, he can play. And on Saturday, he finished with nine tackles, three tackles for loss. And overall was just a difference maker for them. Blaze Aldridge. I know Gabe DeArmond of Power Mizzou mentioned this on Twitter the other day, and it's it's a fair point. He said he's never seen a Missouri player improve as much from the beginning of the season to where they were at the end of the season as Blaze Aldridge did this year. I can't think of an example of somebody that has improved more than Aldridge. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could come up with a list of guys that have done something similar, but I mean, he went from a guy who was brought in to be for all intents and purposes, the Nick Bolton replacement 
did not live up to that billing, obviously, because nobody can, because Nick Bolton is an All-American, and then ended up benched. Like He was benched mid-season. He was a guy that barely saw snaps for a game or two. He got his spot back. He ended up forming what is now a formidable duo in the middle of that defense with Chad Bailey. And on Saturday, he was a difference maker. That dude was everywhere, man. His hair was on fire. Uh, He ended up with two tackles for loss, two quarterback hurries. And those don't even tell the story of just how impressive he was. He was everywhere. And the result was Missouri putting yet another good performance up against the run. South Carolina, 57 yards on the ground, fewer than two yards per carry. Florida, fewer than 100 yards on the ground, 2.4 yards per carry. Nate, it's the first time since 2018 that Missouri held back-to-back Power 5 opponents to fewer than three yards per carry. (laughs) This was not just a good performance. This was a throwback performance to what Missouri's defense looked like at its peak under Barry Odom. Mm-hmm. If they had this defense earlier in the year, this team is at probably finishing the year eight and four. They would be eight and three right now. They would have wins against Boston College and Kentucky, and they would currently be in second in the SEC East. Mm-hmm. It's a wild thing to imagine, but that's the difference between where Missouri's at right now and where it could have been if they had this performance earlier in the year. But that's not to take away from what they're doing now. They finally got there, and it should give you some hope for what this team can be next year. Absolutely. I, and Again, I don't know how this defensive line that got completely blown off the ball for the first six games all of a sudden figured out how to crash the middle and shut down the run. I don't get it. I don't know how linebackers who were constantly out of position and getting just blocked right out of the play with no effort all of a sudden just go oh oh yeah 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 and like and, and just change it the tackling well missouri had like what 25 missed tackles against tennessee and then three yesterday like it's just absolutely incredible it's it's scheme they're playing the scheme better it's effort they're not getting blown off the ball and then really it's open field tackling and i think that's the biggest one blaze aldridge had two plays where he was basically by himself he was the last line of defense literally and he made he made an open field single tackle the last one was on that florida drive right before they kicked the field goal uh he played the option by himself <laughs> he he fainted towards emory jones forced jones to to pitch it and then forced Damian Pierce out of bounds uh, before he got to the to the first down marker. And I'm like, we didn't see that at all in any of the first six games. You know, Blaze was just this, you know, Viking berserker who could, you know, rush the quarterback, and that was about it. And now all of a sudden he's disciplined and can play the run. Like, wow, that's incredible. And and then not only that, not only that, but a Caleb Evans, who I guess is, you know, shutting it down for the year so he can save up for the NFL or whatever, uh, He's out, and DJ Jackson, who has been kind of the, the rotational corner, um, replacing Ish Burdine this year, he gets the start and does tremendous. He breaks up two passes. He's making open field tackles. He's shutting down Justin Shorter and Jacob Copeland, you know, four and five star receivers. Like, what what the heck is happening here? Like, I, I understand, like, Emory Jones can't read a defense to save his life. Like, all their passes are very short, very easy stuff. I understand that. At the same time, these guys put up points on Alabama. These guys put up points on every defense that they face, and Missouri shut them down. Missouri shut them down. I, it, 
it's unbelievable. And, you know, tip of the cap to Blaze and the defense, but especially DJ Jackson, the freshman, thrust into a starting position kind of last minute, and the dude thrived. The secondary quietly has played pretty well of late. I mean, they're, they, again, have not been perfect, but that's not the bar to clear. And also in this game, they didn't have their best defensive player. Like, forget the secondary. Caleb Evans is their best defensive player. That guy's mm-hmm. going to be a future pro for a reason. And it, it didn't matter. It just didn't matter. They they went out there and played really well. Jalen Carlisle has a couple of plays every week where you're like, Ooh, what is going on there? But thus is the life of being a free safety and you're not going to be perfect. And when you aren't perfect at that spot, it looks a little bit ugly. Martez mm-hmm. Manuel had a couple of good plays. McGuire has now become a building block for this team mm-hmm. along the defensive line. Jeff Code is back to being the guy that he was a year ago. I think Chris Abrams drain has developed into a really mm-hmm. impressive nickel cornerback. Agreed. And that is not to diminish what he is. Chris Abrams drain as a nickel corner is the type of piece that is really hard to find. You just can't find those dudes because he can tackle. He is very good on the two way go, which means the slot receiver, because there isn't the boundary, the the sideline next to him, that slot receiver can go in or they can go out. And Abrams drain is quick enough to make a move on either of those at any given time. Does he struggle at times with tracking the ball? Yeah. Does he struggle at times with a double move? Uh Uh-huh. He's new to the position, and he's going to continue to improve. But what he does, he does really, really well. I say all of that to say, I'm kind of excited about what this defense is going to be next year. I don't know what the ceiling is. I would say middle of the pack, probably. But if you can get that out of this defensive unit, that's a hell of an upgrade from where they were at at the beginning of the season. And I had somebody tweet me yesterday, Nate. They said, has uh, has Steve Wilkes done enough to save his job? Oh, geez. Yes. I mean, yes. Yeah. Like at this point, I don't even think it's a thought to no. fire him. No. I don't know how you could possibly be in the camp of that dude still needs to go. I mean, it was ugly early on, but for about four weeks now, you've had steady improvement, almost linear improvement from the Vanderbilts to where you are today. It's probably going to look ugly against Arkansas because Arkansas is really good and that offense makes everybody look bad because their quarterback is a superstar. But that's not going to mean that this team didn't take steps forward defensively this year. I I think Wilkes, there's no doubt about it. I think he's got to be back next year. I I totally agree. Um, You lose Allie Green, you lose Caleb Evans. Okay. Carlison and and Emmanuel are back. So, I mean, secondary tends to struggle when it's super young. And if you're thinking about who your corners are going to be, DJ Jackson seems to be playing himself into a position where he's going to be a starter next year. Chris Abrams drain returns. Enos Regstraw will be back, assuming he'll be back from injury. Um, And then you add Marcus Scott into kind of the poo-poo platter of Ish Burdine, Davian Sistrunk, Snoop Reeves, and Dalen Carnell. Oh, and Chris Sheeran. So, like, you got young options kind of across the board there. They're, they're young. My point is that they're young, but they're also really good. Like the ones that we've seen so far have been really good. Uh, the oldest is going to be Birdine and, and Rakestraw, and we've seen what they can do. Um, so, you know, even losing two NFL caliber corners and kind of putting some more youth out there, I'm I'm not concerned. Well, I'm not concerned yet, I should say. Um, I do wonder if they hit the transfer portal for like a transfer corner. Uh, someone else just to have some experience back there. Um, but even then, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. I'm pretty okay with what they have, honestly. I would too. I, I just, 
I, I would be totally fine with him going out and getting another guy that has experience because you can never have too many quality corners. But what they have right now, if in a worst case scenario, that's what they brought back next year, I think they'd be fine. I would be fine with it too. I, it's it's just a, it's amazing how calling a mix of zone and man can make your secondary look a lot better sure. uh, than just calling man every single get, every single play. Um, so we'll you know I, I feel good about them now. You never know how Raystar is going to come back. You know whether especially with the type of injury he had, how it's going to play out. But you've got a lot of quality options here. And and the youth have been playing so far. Uh, you know, Chris Sharon's been pretty good, especially when he blitzes from his nickel slot. Um, so I feel good about the secondary. And then you, you think about, you know, linebackers are going to be interesting because you do lose Blaze. You got one. You got Chad Bailey coming back. Um, and then, you know, whatever. You got one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but then think about your defensive line. You know, you, you got every single end coming back except for Hansford, well, in Turner, but he's been injured. And you do get kind of a forced reset at tackle, but you do get Robinson and Wingo back, which are your most disruptive guys. And Gracie will be in that conversation Gracie next will be year there, as well. For sure. Really he's he's going to be next year's Wingo where everybody's like, whoa, this guy is really good yeah. right away. Yeah. So you've got kind of an exciting future with this defense because you do rotate in a lot of youth and they did kind of get their, get their butts blown off for a good chunk of the year. But like, that's why you do it to get them experience. So when, you know, they're still young and they can, they can learn and get better. Um, so no, don't, don't fire Wilkes. I know that sounds crazy coming from me. Um, but we all saw what we saw in the first six games. And if you've been paying attention in the last four, then there's no way you should fire the guy. Give him another shot. I'm not saying that it's perfect. I'm not saying everything's fixed. I'm not saying he's going to have some clunker games here and there. But, you know, we we ragged him for putting this defense into a terrible position to start the year. You also have to turn around and give him credit for when he digs him out of the hole. And 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 that's what he's done. He's turned this thing around. And, and, and because he has, you absolutely give him another year. For sure. No, no, no question. Give him another year. Yeah, he's earned it at this point, and all of the players that you wanted to take a step forward for the most part have. Um, and that's the other thing that I think is is important when you're in a situation like this is, A, the results have been better, and B, the guys that you needed to show progress this year have. And so that is both player development and also on-field results. Mm -hmm. Are there guys that I wish we could see more of? Sure, yeah. Like, I mean, one of my personal favorites is Dalen Carnell, and we have seen almost none of him this year. Mm -hmm. But all the guys that I've seen them put out there at cornerback, it's hard for me, who has not seen Dalen Carnell at practice, to tell you he needs to be on the field when these other guys are performing well. Like, Ali Green came in, and he was supposed to be an NFL corner. I don't know that I've seen that from him so far this year, but he's been fine. DJ Jackson came in on Saturday and was excellent for them. Caleb Evans has been really good when he was out there, and his rake straw had a pretty good start to the season. So it's just hard for me to be like, ah, got to get that guy in there. You are failing by not developing him more when all of these other dudes have been pretty darn good. And Chris Abrams train as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it's it's a young group. And, you know, that's kind of by design because they brought in five, five guys from the secondary last recruiting class. But uh, and then you add another one with Marcus Scott. Um, but that's OK. I mean, you know, for Charlie Harbison, uh, the secondary coach, he, he's done a good job coaching these guys up. 
And, uh, you know, kind of all year, the secondary really hasn't been a problem. I know they got burned by Georgia and Tennessee, but everyone gets burned. Our boy by Fletch, Georgia. too. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron Fletcher, you know, co- coaching up the corners like, you know, I, the secondary has been the strength. It was always the kind of the front six. They're getting pushed around. Now the they have got their stuff together. Like this is this is good, man. Um, I'm feeling really good about this defense, and I'm glad that I do, because there was, it was some bleak times uh, right around the middle of this season. So. Uh, credit to them. Very exciting kind of going forward. I uh, can't wait to see what they can do as far as development and getting better. And then we get to the quarterback. Because as good as the defense was yesterday, the quarterback play was pretty much the exact opposite. Uh, if you look at what Con- what Connor Bazelak was able to do against Flo- now a good a good Florida defense which is rare because Todd Grantham defenses suck but like they're talented and they had their stuff together yesterday. Uh, Bays went 15 for 26 for 165 yards. That's a 57 percent completion percentage. That's his worst of the year so far, uh, and he didn't have any interceptions or fumbles, which is wow, thank God. But he also got sacked five times. Um, so BK, you you. I think you put this in your five things as well, but you definitely texted it to me. Can you, can you go ahead and rattle off um, that very interesting stats that you talked about with his passing yardage in particular, if you take out, Oh, I don't know, a, a couple of throws maybe. Yeah. So it's three plays. He threw a 50, 50 ball to Toski dove early in the game. That goes for 50 yards. He had a really nice throw across the middle to Nico. Hay, 26 yard game. Mm-hmm. Another nice throw to Nico. Hay. On the touchdown, which was a beautiful design in play call, by the way, from um, Eli Drinkwitz. So, (laughs) yeah, Beatty apparently as well, who suggested it because they were apparently calling out the screens every time they would run them. That went for 41. So those three plays that I just referenced went for a combined 117 yards. His other 23 passing attempts went for a combined 48 yards. He also, by the way, took six sacks for a loss of 28 yards. So on his other 29 dropbacks, you had a net of 40 yards. I should probably mention now, they also had two intentional grounding calls as well. So your net for those other, what is that, 30 dropbacks mm-hmm. was like negative 10 yeah. yards. Yeah. I mean, he won the game. And that's what matters. And he had the biggest throw in the biggest moment. The ball was in his hand and they trusted him to make a play. So I want to start out there because I'm sure there will be some who hear what I'm about to say and are like, yeah, but he won BK. So how are you possibly criticizing him? I'm saying it on the front end. Credit to credit to Connor Bazelak for overcoming all of that, which happened in the first 55 minutes of the game to be able to then make the biggest play in the biggest moment, to win the game. Full kudos there. Credit to him. That was a terrible game for Connor Bazelak. He was not good on Saturday. I wanted him to be good. I wanted him to go out there and to shut me up, to shut any critics up, to prove to everybody he is clearly, definitively, without an ounce of doubt, the best quarterback for the University of Missouri, both for the here and now and for 2022 and beyond. I don't know how anybody could have watched that on Saturday, including Eli Drinkwitz, by the way, 
and said to themselves, this is the guy that gives Missouri the best chance to win this game. I just don't know how you could do that. And if you did, which apparently Drinkwitz did, because there was never even a thought to bring Bazelak out of that game, otherwise at some point he would have taken him out. I think it says a lot about the way that this coaching staff views Brady Cook and the way that they view Tyler Macon. I don't know what Brady Cook thinks of his future. I don't know what he wants to accomplish in his college career. Maybe he just wants to attend Mizzou and this has been a lifelong dream and dream and football is secondary for him. That's possible. I hope he ends up starting at Mizzou. I hope he goes on to have a great career here. I don't know how he could watch that game on Saturday and think anything other than I'm never going to start here if I'm not thrown into the game at any point in this one. I don't get it, man. I really don't. That was the, the one thing that you can say. He did not have an interception in that game. Yep. So kudos to him for that. That is the biggest thing that he had to avoid, and he was able to do it on Saturday. So credit to him for doing so. But this team has a quarterback problem right now. The defense is good enough to be able to keep them in games, but Florida tried time and time and time again to hand it over on a silver platter to Missouri's offense, and Basilek was actively holding them back. If you want to check for any of the videos, I did a lot of videos throughout the game to show exactly what was going wrong. He had no opportunity to run because apparently he's wearing a wrap around his knee that doesn't allow him to run right now. Uh, it's not an injury issue. It's a wrap that literally makes it impossible for him to be able to be mobile. So that was interesting to find out about on the SEC Network broadcast. Um, as a result of that, he can't run in the zone read game, which means that those reads are not actual reads. It's just a handoff. Mm -hmm. So you're not accomplishing anything, and the defense is able to sell out as a, as a result. His throwing against pressure was once again a problem. His accuracy from start to finish throughout the day was just not good. He was seeing open receivers and was unwilling to throw to them, especially across the middle again. All of the issues that we have documented throughout this season showed up in a big, big way on Saturday against Florida, and they could have and maybe should have cost the team the win. Mm -hmm. It didn't. They won. He was the one that made the play when it mattered. But that was not a well-quarterbacked game by Mizzou on Saturday. No. No. 15-26 is 57%. That's his worst game as a Tiger ever. Um, five sacks. That's the most he's ever taken. Easily his worst. Worst performance there. You know, you can sit here and you can say, well, <clears throat> what does a quarterback need to do? Quarterback needs to call the plays, <clears throat> needs to get everybody lined up, needs to pass the ball. Well, number one, that's an overly simplistic view of the quarterback position. But number two, you can take even the most statue of statuesque quarterbacks, you know, they got to be able to move. Tom Brady, the reason he's so good is he can climb the pocket so well. And guess what? He runs like three or four times a game anyway. You know, he's 40,000 years old and he's still hoofing it every once in a while. Um, but this is the college game. And at the college level, your quarterback, whether he's a pro prospect or a converted receiver, you got to you gotta be able to do a little bit of both. If you're, you know, an awesome athlete who's got a, you know, 4'2", 40, um, and you know, you can, you can stiff arm dudes into the ground. You still got to be able to throw it fairly accurately. If you are, you know, the next Trevor Lawrence, you still need to be able to tuck it and run every once in a while. And right now, Bazelak can't run. 
because even though he's not injured, we got something on his leg that makes it impossible for him to run. So that's cool. Um, and then, like you said, he's unwilling to make the pass that needs to be made. The anticipation of the routes, how he views coverage, how he views the defense, something's up. Because he doesn't have the confidence to make those passes. So if you can't run, you're not a threat in the running game, whether it's the zone read or you know a draw. You can't scramble. If, you're, if your receivers are covered, you're not going to tuck it and go for three yards. If you can't really navigate the pocket well, which all of those sacks, he basically just hugged the dude as he got mauled to the ground. He's like, well, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Might as well make my landing soft. Like, he didn't fight any of those sacks. He can't move. He can't move. And it's his right knee. That's his plant leg. You know, quarterback coaches talk about rocking fire. He ain't rocking. So he ain't firing either. Think of all those downfield passes. We've seen it all year. Just these arm farts that just flop through the air and land hopefully in the place where they need to be, but they're not. It's either, you know, in a place where it's bringing Dominic Lovett back to the defender or it's not towards the sideline and the and the defender picks it off. Or even last, you know, yesterday, during the game yesterday, those the, the Towski Dove and Kiki Chisholm had to like just jump up and catch it and save his ass because it was a terrible throw. He's just floating it to him. He's got no ability to put any power in his throw. So literally, what part of the quarterback position does he do well right now? Leadership? Seems like boxing? his teammates like him. Yeah, I was about to say that, that. That seems to be the thing. I'm good with that. I'm good with your team like rallying behind a guy. But if you've got if you've got a a guy who can't run, can't move, can't throw, I'm at a loss of what you want from your quarterback here. That you think he's like he doesn't have the qualities. He's got he's got the guys like him, and then I guess everyone hates Brady Cook, even though he can do everything. So. It's beyond me, man. But Drinkwitz is the guy that you got to convince, or maybe even Bush Hamden. I don't know. But it's it's Drinkwitz's offense, so he's going to trot him out there. I guarantee you, he starts against Arkansas. I guarantee you, Barry Odom eats his lunch. And I, I just I don't know what to do. If that's just this season, if that's just 2021, and then we reset and try it again next year, and or someone transfers or whatever, that's fine. But it just seems to me, if you want the best chance to win the game, Bazelak's not the answer. Um, and yet here we are trotting him out every game. So I think that's just kind of how it's going to be at this point. Yeah. I mean, at this point going into spring ball, I, I think that Connor Bazelak will finish spring ball as a starting quarterback for Mizzou. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I, I don't know how anybody could have another take other than that. After what we've seen so far this season, I also think that if you are a Missouri fan that is done watching Connor Bazelak as the starting quarterback, the guy that you should be rooting for is Sam Horn. Mm-hmm. Which would mean, yes, you have a freshman, a true freshman starting at quarterback next year. But I, I think that's your best option. If you're not going to have Basilek there, it's either going to be Sam Horn or if they want to go to the transfer portal, they, they could go that route as well. I would assume at least one of Brady Cook and or Tyler Macon transfers this mm-hmm. offseason. This is not me reporting anything just speculating based on everything that we've all seen i mean yeah. if they didn't get into that game and uh we'll see what the make and i think that's a little bit different but cook clearly is ready to play mm-hmm. they have just determined he's not good enough to play when connor basilek is healthy and basilek's at like 70 percent right now mm-hmm. and they have determined even in a game in which he was poor, playing poorly that guy was the better one for us to play with so 
Uh, I feel bad for Brady Cook because I can't imagine having watched that game on Saturday and having to say to myself, wow, uh, they think that this guy is better than me. Um, and I have to imagine Brady Cook is a confident kid. I have to imagine he believed he gave Missouri a better chance to win on Saturday. And I frankly agree with him, but I'm not the one that makes the decisions. Neither is Brady Cook. Eli Drinkwitz for one reason or another, and he definitely has reasons. He is not a dumb football coach. He is a smart football coach who clearly believes that there is a reason why he is right on this. He believes Connor Bazelight gives his team the best chance to win, and I don't expect that to change anytime soon. No, no. I, I, I Look, I, Drinkwitz knows way more about this team and offense and everything more than I can do. You can still question the guy. Yeah, 100%. Like, Oh, I disagree with it. I think he's wrong, but yeah. Yeah. I think he's wrong too. I, I understand that he's smarter than me. I still think he's wrong, but just based off of what we've seen and that's okay. Like I, he still has my support and I still believe he's great, but like, he's, I don't think he's right about this. I really, really don't. I, I, I too feel bad for Brady cook. I especially felt bad. Cause like when they would take timeouts, first guy out there was cook high-fiving everybody he's circling around the huddle you know and like i could just feel like oh just put me in coach let, just let me do it and it, what is it happening i just felt so bad for the kid but i will say i mean yeah i well we we have talked about this a lot and there's there's no use just putting it into the ether and, and you know willing it to happen but he would be the least surprising transfer from this team um if it were to happen because yeah <laughs> We're going to try it out a, a one-armed, one-leg Connor Bazelak before we try it out Brady Cook. So that's that's where we're at. Um, but yes, I mean, hey, Missouri won. Bazelak didn't make that throw. Uh, anyone could have made that throw. But Bazelak made the throw uh, to win the game. Uh, so credit to him and all of that. Really the hero of the game. Really the hero of any game that we've won is Tyler Beatty. And we're, we're now the portion of the podcast where we had the Tyler Beatty appreciation hour. Um, God, I, I think it, it, we have already said there is nothing left to be said. I think anytime we write a piece or we bring them up in the podcast, we preface it with what else can you say? Because he has proven everything three games into the season, let alone, uh, you know, 10 games, 10, 11 and 12. So Tyler Beatty was awesome. Wasn't so great in the passing game. That's the second straight uh, game that he has been less than effective catching the ball. But that's not what you're really looking for. 27 rushes, 146 yards, 5.4 yards per carry. And oh, by the way, almost all of them came in the second half. Um, Tyler Beatty's awesome. His offensive line was a little sketchy, but like he's just he's so much better uh, that he can cover that stuff up. And uh, he did it. He had another great game. I loved that performance because I think it answered the final question. It was like uh, getting to the final boss in one of those video games that you would play whenever you were a kid. And, and he had like one last thing to prove to just announce his presence, right? Not that anybody was questioning it at this point, but I think the last thing that we hadn't really seen from him this year, because he's shown us so many different styles of games. He's won in the passing game. He's won in the running game. He's won with big plays. He's won with small plays. He's won at the goal line. He's won on short yardage situations. He do he's done basically everything. The one thing he hadn't really done so far this year is just that old school Larry Roundtree grind it out, find a way in a gritty performance to get you there in the end. And that's what he did on Saturday. 
He finished the first half, and it looked like Missouri just wasn't going to be able to run the game, run the ball in this game. He had eight carries for 19 yards in the first half. His longest run in the first half went for six yards, and he was stopped for no gain or behind the line of scrimmage on three of those eight carries. And then in the second half, he just dominated. <laughs> 19 carries in the second half for 127 yards. Or This is basically after halftime, so that includes mm-hmm. overtime. Just a remarkable performance. And he was a grinder in that one. He's the best player on the field in every game that he plays in. He's not going to be a Heisman finalist. But after that kind of a performance against what is a pretty solid defense and a defense that had a really good effort on Saturday, I couldn't have been more impressed with what we saw from Tyler Beatty. And it really was, to me, the last question um, that... I really hadn't seen him have a game with that style. And he is now in the country second in yards from scrimmage. And among power five players, he is first in the country in yards from scrimmage. What a what a tremendous season. I was going to say, do you know who's first in the country? Kid they played against in uh, in the opening game of the season. Lou Nichols from Central Michigan. Yeah. Wild stuff, man. He's only gotten by 50 yards. So, like, I don't I don't know what happens afterwards. But, uh, yeah. yeah, nothing to add. Tyler Beatty's awesome. He uh, was honored on senior day, even though he's technically got junior eligibility. Like, yeah, he's going to go. He's going to make some money in the NFL. Maybe win a Doak Walker Award? I don't know. We'll see. But I think at this point, BK, it is for certain he's going to be in, on an all-SEC team. Yeah. I, f- I feel like it's going to be first. Or he's going to get some votes for first. What do you think at this point? He should. He, he should be the guy. At this point, there if you're a voter and you're not voting for Tyler Beatty, question yourself as to why. Yeah. I mean, see, honestly, I, I just don't understand what the explanation could be because now he's done it against quality opponents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know what you could possibly need to see more from him, and he's doing this behind an offensive line that is not as good as what you would see at mm-hmm. in Alabama, for example, or Kentucky, where they have a very good offensive line. There's just... There's no logical explanation for it. So he would be my first team all SEC running back. And yeah, you want to talk Doak Walker. You want to talk any other awards this offseason. I'm here to listen because he's worthy of any of them. Yeah. And of course, we'll see how he does on his pro day. Um, But God, just from a resume standpoint, certainly he's got the skills that any NFL team would want to add immediately. Um, we'll, we'll, We'll do NFL draft talk when the time comes. But like at this point... I mean, it could be second round, maybe a third round, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how the order shakes out. But he's certainly a value uh, that it seems to me that NFL teams would, would certainly take him higher. Yeah, yeah. I think he'll be a top 75 pick in this year's draft. So uh, somewhere between the second and third round, I, I think that's probably where he falls. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tyler. I know you don't listen, but I'm pretending that you do. Thank you for everything. Also, tear up Arkansas for me. Um, I, I know it's probably going to be a rough game, but I'd love to love to beat the Pigs for the sixth year in a row, and I'd like Tyler Beatty to be able to do that. Um, last thing on here, this is this is fun. So, Dan Mullen got fired. Now, he didn't get fired because he lost to Missouri. He got fired because he didn't, hadn't beaten a Power 5 team like all year uh, and then let Sanford put up 52 points on him. 
uh, and also kind of just in general horse's ass. Uh, but he is gone. He is fired officially today. Uh, he, he was allowed to fly home with the team and they fired him in Gainesville. But this kind of goes back to a fun little thing that, that Missouri is known for in the SEC anyway. It kind of feels like the Tigers are a little grim reaper for head coaches. Because if you go back and you look, um, coaches that were fired immediately following losses to Mizzou, this is from Dave Matter, um, Butch Jones at Tennessee in 2017, fired after losing to Mizzou. Brett Bielema in 2017, didn't even make it off the field before the AD walked up and fired him. Um, Derek Mason got fired at Vanderbilt. You all forget about that one. I know I did. Um, last year after he lost to Missouri, Derek Mason was fired. And then this year, Dan Mullen. Take it back. And if you think of Derek Dooley and Joker Phillips at Tennessee and Kentucky in 2012, they were fired one week after losing to Missouri. So we've got, got this reputation as, uh, as coach killers. And I think it's very funny. Then you take it a step further and you go, oh, wait, it's because teams in the SEC think Missouri sucks and that if you lose to Missouri, you should get fired. But then you can really bring it all the way back to Galaxy Brain and say, look, you suck anyway. We, we're just the final nail in the coffin. And it's not that you lost to us. It's that you couldn't beat anybody else. And then we rubbed salt in the wound. So I view this as a positive thing, BK. You can have your national championships. I'm going to go ahead and put national coach killing championship uh, in the locker room and uh, I'm going to dance around it happily. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I'm also happy to dance on the Florida coaching grave. That is Dan Mullen. I loved seeing Eli Drinkwitz after the game with his lightsaber. Uh, That was tremendous. I I mean, Dan Mullen just did not buy himself any goodwill. I felt bad after you saw last year, Derek Mason was fired. Mm-hmm. Derek Mason just seems like a good dude mm-hmm. and he just didn't work. Didn't work out. It's the same way that I felt about like at Mizzou when Barry Odom was fired. I didn't take any pleasure in that. No. I liked Barry Odom personally. I thought he was a pretty good football coach. It just didn't work here. Kim Anderson, when he was fired from Mizzou basketball, it just didn't work. And you, you hoped that it would, and it didn't. Dan Mullen didn't work and he was a jerk. Mm-hmm. I, I just disliked the guy. He he made himself into a character of himself and maybe that's just who he is. And so it wasn't like some sort of act or anything. He didn't recruit. He was a jerk to seemingly everybody. Uh, his program seemed slightly dysfunctional. It didn't seem like the players were exactly bought into what he was selling. I don't feel all that bad for him. And oh, by the way, he's going to get what? $6 million to go away (laughs) with no offset money in it. So he'll be able to double dip and make more money elsewhere as well. Like, all right, sweet. See you, Dan Mullen. I think he's a pretty good football coach. I wouldn't want him coaching my football team. I do think he's going to be successful in whatever comes next as like a group of five coach or a lower level power five coach. I just have no sympathy for him losing this job. I've seen him floated for the Virginia Tech job. Makes sense. I I can kind of see it. He he's got a like I said he's got a constant chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. And Virginia Tech is a program that has a constant chip on their shoulders. So I could see that working. Now you got to recruit the DMV. You got to bring in some kids, especially from the Newport News area. But like you, I could see him doing he, it. He should coach at Ole Miss. He should be the next Ole Miss coach. Because <laughs> Lane Kiffin's going to take the Miami job. Or Florida. Oh, God. Either one. Jeez. You know, here's the thing about the Florida job. And, you know, for, for you or me, you know, growing up when we did, Florida's like 
very much kind of a, a flash in the pan program. Cause like Steve Spurrier was a quarterback there. He won a Heisman in the sixties. Then he comes back in the eighties and nineties and gets him some national championships by like revolutionizing offense. And then they hire one of the best program builders ever in, in, in urban Meyer. But outside of those guys, like Florida sucks. <laughs> like they, they, they can, they can reel in big names. You know, obviously they got the talent in their backyard, but like they, they're not very good. It, and I've, I've, it feels like to me that they benefited from not the, you know, the nation, not really realizing what, what, what Florida had in the seventies, eighties, nineties. And then again, benefiting from urban Meyer, um, but now everybody recruits Florida. So there's no like any dudes like sneaking under the radar and they, they go everywhere. They don't just stay at Florida. I think I read something like um, the top 20 Florida players in last year's class, like, or was it top 50? I don't know. There's only like nine blue chippers from Florida that signed with the Florida school is the point. All the others went somewhere else. So like, it's not as much of an advantage as you think. And then Florida just historically is not that great of a program outside of their two national championship winning coaches. I understand that, but like, it's a tough job and I don't know who they're going to look at, but I just kind of feel like they're going to get three years and flame out like the past two guys did. Maybe. I mean, as much as we say the last two guys flamed out though, like, I mean, Dan Mullen won 11 and 10 games in 2018 and then 2019. How many did he win this year? No, no, I'm with you. He's won five. He's he has absolutely flamed out. But the failure came with at the front end. He won 10 and 11 games like you can do it there. You can win at a really high level. Jim McElwain won 10 games in his first year on campus. Even Will Muschamp was able to win 11 games at Florida. If you are a solid to good head coach, you can do it at a very high level there. So if I am somebody like Lane Kiffin, for example, I can win at a much higher level at Florida than I can at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. It's just factually accurate that you're going to have a much higher ceiling there. Um, I would go to Miami, frankly, if I was Lane Kiffin. I think that's I the too. perfect yeah. job for him. But if he's not offered the Miami job, he should be. But if he's not, yeah, I would go to Florida. Uh, Mario Cristobal, he should also be one of the top targets for Miami. If he's interested in leaving Oregon, I don't know why he would be, but if he is, Florida and Miami should both be interested in a guy like that. I don't know if Luke Fickle is interested in leaving Cincinnati, but he would be a guy that I would be targeting if I'm Florida. So they've got some intriguing candidates. The problem is if all of those guys say no, Nate, we can talk about this in the off season as we like wrap up the the season for Mizzou. College football has a problem right now in that they have gone through so many coaches over the last three to five years. There are no more up-and-coming coaches to really go through. Mm -hmm. The last name for the SEC is basically Billy Napier. There's not a whole lot of other guys that have been able to build their programs at the lower levels because, like, Eli Drinkwitz did it for a year, a year, and was the hottest candidate that Mizzou could go after everybody's firing their coaches so quickly now and they're cycling through all of these other guys so quickly. There's just not a whole lot of candidates. It's a really bad cycle to have to go through something like this. So, I mean, Florida's list for me is basically Billy Napier, Lane Kiffin, Luke Fickle, Mario Cristobal. And after that, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. You know, who's, who's getting floated right now, uh, as far as rumors go for Florida. 
Bill O'Brien. Oh, boy. Yeah. Bill O'Brien is the Alabama offensive coordinator right now, who everybody in Tuscaloosa is ready to run out. Um, but B- Bill O'Brien is Dan Mullen. Basically, yeah. Like, he, he was the Houston Texans head coach. Everybody hated him. He was at Penn State and did a, a really good job of rebuilding mm-hmm. that program, but he's not exactly known for his recruiting. No, he does not recruit. He's a guy that is known for his scheme much like Dan Mullen. <laughs> like he, you would be firing Dan Mullen to hire a lesser version of Dan Mullen. Yeah. Cause at least I know Dan Mullen's a pretty darn good coach. I'm not sure if Bill O'Brien is or not. I would say no, but that's just me. I just think of, think of the schools that are open this in this coaching carousel, USC, Dude, some big names, LSU, uh, Washington, now Florida. I'm not even mentioning on top of that, Washington State, Texas Tech, TCU. And we're not even done with the season yet. This is this is dude, this is such a product of early signing day when you have to sign your class, you know, in December, basically. So you if you wait to hire a guy, they start off with a terrible recruiting class that first year. And then three years in, that's the class that are their seniors, and that's when they're scuffling. Mm-hmm. Get them out. And you just do it over and over and over and over again. That's why this is changing. That's why Georgia Southern hired Clay Helton uh, November 3rd. He's already on campus. He's already recruiting because they know they got to get their guy in there now to build that recruiting class. Um, you know, UMass just hired Don Brown from Arizona. Arizona's season's not done yet. Don Brown's their defense coordinator. He's gone. He's gone. And these are G5 teams. Like, you you can't, you got to hire someone who's not a head coach because you need to get them in immediately. And I don't know where USC or LSU or Florida or Washington are going to get their guy. It's probably going to be an internal hire just to keep the recruiting class afloat. But, like, it's making program building impossible. And I don't know how much say head coaches have in these rules with the NCAA, but you kind of have to think that from an agent, from a coaching standpoint, they're going to, they're going to push back on someone and say, look, you've got to give us a break. We got to, we got to renegotiate this early signing day because it's, it's making everything so damn expensive and so impossible to find success that, yeah, I think you're just going to find retreads like Mac Brown over and over because they've, they've run through the entire pool already. Another guy that we did not mention. Like th- these are the types of names that are going to be floated because there are no other candidates really like the, the lower level candidates that you would typically see floated right now don't exist. Uh, and so it's other power five coaches that are now being discussed as maybe they go get this guy if he's interested. And then once those get floated and they are like basically battered down, I don't know where these teams go. Uh, Mark Stoops is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. For the, these openings, especially Florida, he's a really good coach. I don't know if he's the type of coach that Florida would want. They typically lean more offense there, but mm-hmm. um, I, he's, he's a really good football coach. And if they want a good coach, he's the type of guy that I would go after. Another one that was introduced as a possibility from Bruce Feldman that I am intrigued by is Todd Monken. Oh, yeah. I think Todd Monken is awesome. (laughs) He was the Southern Miss head coach. He is now the offensive coordinator at Georgia. I I don't know how much he's actually running his offense there versus kind of what they want to do. But 
Todd Munkin at his heart is like a run and gun, like mm-hmm. just up and down type of offense. I would love to see that at Florida. I also have no idea how he is, how he would be as a uh, recruiter at a place like that. So there are some questions that would have to be answered if he were to get that job. But I mean, that's the kind of thing that you're looking at. If you don't get one of these three to five candidates that everybody would agree, okay, yeah, that would be a good hire. You're getting into a bunch of guys that are like, ooh, there are some red flags here. But yeah, if you squint hard enough, you could maybe see it work. Yeah. All of it makes me appreciate that Missouri is not in the cycle this year, by the way. Right. And don't worry about Eli Drinkwitz leaving. Um, Like I said, I'm going to actually write a piece about this probably in the offseason. But you don't hire sitting Power 5 coaches to take over a Power 5 job. Because, A, it would look really bad for them to leave in the middle of the season, and then they would turn around and do it to you. Um, But you need to get them in for recruiting early. And so they're typically going to be looking at like a positional coach or a coordinator um, to do that because it's just, it's too expensive and it's too hard to steal a power five coach. And I'll go through the numbers um, over the past couple of years and how that's declined. But for now, if you're worried about drink leaving, uh, worry about him getting fired first. And I don't think that's going to happen. So, and there are other, there are just other guys that seem more likely, especially in the sec, mm-hmm. like Lane Kiffin, I, I think is totally in play mm-hmm. for these other jobs. But I don't think that this is maybe there is a day where that time would come. This is not the offseason in which we've got to worry about yeah. it. Not yet. You're not you're not going to hire the Missouri coach who's won half his games in two yeah, years. Not yet. You're just not going to do that. So anyway. Anyway. Hey, we beat Florida. That was cool. Um, <laughs> BK, any last thoughts before we get out of here? I don't think so, man. I'm looking forward to our midweek show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an early week this week. Mizzou plays on Black Friday in case you don't remember the. They technically have a rivalry game this week, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen. It's uh, it's forced down our throat. It is sponsored. Can't wait for it. It is going to be a fun game in all seriousness. Arkansas has become a very good football team this year. Uh, their quarterback is electric. By the way, defensive end-wise, uh, they've got a dude who used to play at Missouri who's uh, like really good for them now, mm-hmm. which is very frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Barry Odom back against Missouri once again. So it'll be a fun one. I, I don't know that it's going to go particularly well for Mizzou, but they got six wins, and that's ultimately what this season was all about. Yep. So kudos to this team. That was an inspired effort, and it was good to see them come out on the winning end and uh, senior day for their guys to be able to celebrate once again. Pretty cool. Hashtag beat Barry again. All right. Well, that's going to be our show for today. Like BK said, we'll be back on Wednesday, uh, but we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment. Give us a rate. We can love all types of feedback from you guys. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm Matt and H.E. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation and listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Z-O-U.